Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm, I'm praying for uh, our youth that's going to camp. I'm praying that they will have revival and bring it back to us. When I was a junior in high school, went to a summer camp, Beth Eden, a Bible camp, and we had revival. The only time I have ever experienced it in my life, one and only time. Uh, but I felt like sad thing was we came back and it wasn't really transferred. And I want them to bring, I want them to have revival. And I want them to bring back a transferable revival to us. And I feel in a way that that's a little bit even of what we need today. And, you know, we sang, the last song that we sang was America the Beautiful. And America's beautiful. I mean, even with uh, droughts and fires and floods and tornadoes, America's still beautiful. And if you don't think America's beautiful, then just hang out with us every Sunday and let's make America beautiful again. And uh, yeah, at the same time, you did sing the prayer in that song that God would mend thine every flaw. And I think God will have to do it because I'm not sure that we are up to it. And I, and I say that because I know, you know, uh, uh, some places, some people, they'll uh, look at our founding documents and say that they're sacred. Uh, that, uh, I mean, I'm always unnerved by that because that puts it on the same level of the Bible. Now, now I know where that comes from. It comes from Mormon teaching. But, um, you know, the, even those founding documents, we had a declaration of freedom, which has been imperfectly applied. And from the very beginning, our Constitution was flawed. So flawed, it enshrined the idea of slavery. And then, uh, you know, their idea was that there was upwards of 4 million people at that time who were only three-fifths of a person. And even after we fought a horrific civil war against each other, to get that corrected and, and came out amending the Constitution, even after that, our Supreme Court so narrowly defined it, so narrowly defined that, uh, you know, we're still at the nearly that same spot as before the Civil War, where as a white person, there were no rights a black person had that I was bound to respect. Uh, that's what the court said before the Civil War. After the Civil War, it said, in effect, the same thing. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure what Reconstruction did, but it didn't reconstruct things as they really ought to be. That took us a long time to work through all of that. But it is because of that that I want you to turn your attention today, if you would. Join me in Ephesians chapter 2, because Paul is going to give us the one document that lifts us out of all of the mess of human invention, trying to figure out how to bring a just and righteous kingdom to this planet, Paul now is going to give us, and we, you know, we end our series on the Holy Spirit today, and I'm going to tie it off by uh, folding it into our topical series on grace, and then July 17th, I'm going to begin giving you a map to the coming kingdom and share the calendar of events of Bible prophecy through the book of Daniel. But here we've had this declaration for 246 years, a declaration of freedom. 
And Paul, the apostle, is now given the responsibility to explain to the New Testament church what our freedom has to entail. And what he wants to inform us about today is actually the final product of the Holy Spirit. So in 10 brief verses, Paul is summarizing for us Freedom Sunday. And he's taking us from start to finish, beginning to end. And the total purpose and program of God for your life is scoped out right here in this chapter, Ephesians chapter 2. What we discover right now is that if your Independence Day in Jesus Christ means anything, it means you have no excuse. So Paul explains in these first three verses why. Why is it that we need a personal Independence Day? Why? Why is it that the Bible is the greatest document? I don't care what church you come out of. I don't care what denomination. I don't, I don't care what background that you have. Why is it that the Bible is the greatest document on explaining to us exactly what we need to have and how the Holy Spirit produces it? Watch verse 1. And you hath God quickened, you who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, some form of the word quick is used 36 times in a King James Bible where it does not mean to be made faster. It means to be characterized by the presence of life. And this, you know, back before our medical advances, this is how women would describe they knew that they were pregnant. They felt a quickening. You could feel the quickening as the baby started moving, and you knew that now there was new life inside the presence of your life. So that word is accurately, and really King James is the only accurate translation out there, it is accurately used here. Because you were born in Adam, 1 Corinthians 15. You were born in your sins, John chapter 8, and you were dead in those sins, Ephesians 2, here in verse 5. They are part of you. You are part of them. The only way you can go free is to be born again so that you can start walking in the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes you hear people see a news account. They watch what is going on in our country in the news, and they say, you know, this is a sick society. That's not quite true. This is a dead society. So our first point for study is this. Humanity's not sick and in need of medicine. No, we are all dead and in need of resurrection. And quickening is not complete resurrection because you still have also the presence of the old nature. But now you have the presence of new life. That is why the King James says you are quickened. So we have a coroner's report from God. Dr. Paul, with the assistance of Dr. Luke, who is actually a medical doctor, declares that everyone in the mortuary of earth is dead. And this coroner's report lists as the causes of death, trespasses and sins. Now, trespasses are my unintentional lapses. You know, the falls and the faults and the errors. I mean, trespasses is like my bad. But sins, no, that's your deliberate offenses because you are a slave. 
So sins are what you premeditatedly do wrong, even when you deny to yourself that you are doing that. And Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind, we are blown away. So physical life is life on a string. You only get so much of that, and then it runs out. And maybe you're lucky, and maybe, maybe you've got an 80-year string. But maybe you'll reach the end of your rope before the end of this week. So you need the life of God functioning in your spirit so that when this body dies, you still live and your body can be resurrected. We are born without the life of God, which is why we have to be born again. I'll I'll be up front with you. I'll tell you exactly what I want to have happen today. Today, this being Freedom Sunday, I want to create a disturbance in the force. And you know, when the, when the Star Wars first came out, the first Star Wars movie came out, um, you know, they blew up Alderaan and, uh, and Obi-Wan Kenobi makes a statement, oh, there was a disturbance in the force. And he meant that as a bad thing because George Lucas was trying to portray to you the Hindu idea that the universe and the world is held together by an impersonal but benevolent uh, type of power. And actually, it's opposite to that, so I want to do the opposite thing because this world is held together by the prince of the power of the air, and that's Satan. And I wanted to, I want to, I want to create a disturbance in his force today. I mean, you'll, uh, this has got to be the most patriotic sermon you will ever hear on Fourth of July because I'm even bringing up Star Wars, and. <laughs> And we're going to create a disturbance in the force because even when you are at your best from God's assessment, you fall short of his glory. And you know what? A miss by an inch is as good as a mile. So even the good things we do, we do for the wrong reason because Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says the heart, whose heart? No, the heart, any heart. Your heart is wicked, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? My job description takes me to funeral homes. Uh, And I'll have to admit to you, I have seen some people look better in death than they ever looked in life. I'm just saying. And we have the ability to make you look good and, and we can preserve you for a while and keep you long enough for friends to say goodbye. And I know your dream was to one day ride in a limo. Now you're at the head of a whole motorcade. And on that day, you stop traffic and everybody else has to wait on you. But without the life of God operating inside your spirit, you are as dead as bin Laden. Because here's our second point for study. Outside the life of God, all people are exiled from God in eternity. So you are dead spiritually, but while that encompasses your spirit in separation from God, that does not extend to your will. Because if you could not receive, then you cannot reject. And that is why children are always saved and safe in Jesus' arms. Because they cannot knowingly reject. And God treats them as if they did not have a free will. But you're an adult. And though you are spiritually dead, 
you are still yet held responsible for the choices you make and the decision to reject Jesus, Acts 7.51. So you can accept John 1.12, and you can reject Luke 7.30. So this spiritual death does not mean that you do not function, because look at what Paul says in verse 2. Oh, you function all right, wherein in time past you walked, and you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, you are part of the living dead. You are a walking dead person. You give off the impression that you are alive, but that's part of the delusion and the illusion of this world's prince. You have existence and not real life. And this is the prince that Jesus refers to in John 12, 31 and 14, 30 and 16, 11. So Satan allows you animation, but not true life. I mean, you are always two-dimensional, body and soul, but you never recognize there is a third dimension. There is a dimension where verse 2 says, before you got saved, you walked according to the Spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So there is a spirit of the age which indwells all the lost, just like the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. I mean, Jesus talks about it, Matthew 12, verses 43 to 45. And you are led of that spirit, just like the Christian is led by the Holy Spirit. And you can see that as... God's people make more and more compromise, get more and more lukewarm, lose more and more power, have less and less revival. As God's people get less and less and weaker and weaker, that other spirit gets stronger and stronger in response. So that makes those who are lost the children of disobedience, verse 2, and the children of God's wrath, verse 3. You are a slave in a cabin with three locks on it. One lock is the world, and that holds us down. One lock is the devil, and that holds you in. And another lock is the flesh, and that is what keeps you enslaved. And the only antidote to our unholy flesh is the work of the Holy Spirit. So until you get saved, you walk according to the course of this world. You follow the crowd because you believe like they believe, and you believe like they believe because you think like they think. You don't have God's mind. You don't have the mind of Christ on things. You've not subjected your thinking to God's word. Therefore, you think like they think, believe like they believe, do what they do. You follow their fads. You fit into their pattern, their outline, their course, and the system of this age and this world order. The devil is your slave master, and you don't even know it. That is the true bondage of your will. We are controlled by him in our passions. We are controlled by him in our imaginations. And not only are we dead, deluded, and disobedient, but verse 3 says, we are defiled, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Now, here's what gets me. Can I tell you what gets me? This is what gets me even though I have my doctorate now, okay? Big deal. But do you know that to get that doctorate, I had to learn, I had to pay good money 
to learn all of this vocabulary that I never use in normal life. And so I had to learn things about the Bible and Greek and Hebrew, and I had to learn things men had invented theories that they have that they, they, they invent words for. So I had to learn their vocabulary, and I had to do, I had to do their thing, and somehow, at least within the educational system, that's portrayed as a good thing, although for practical purposes, really didn't teach me any Bible knowledge. And yet, those same people will look at a King James Bible and say, well, you shouldn't have to learn a new word. Here in verse 3, do you notice it says, we all had our conversation in times past in this way. And the word conversation is used 20 times in a King James Bible where it never refers to speaking. In other words, it's not what you say with your mouth, it is what you say with your life. And it is your conduct and your engagement with the world. The contemporary term is lifestyle. So we are all, you and me and Paul, defined by our evil cravings and the truth of this life is that 90% of the people in any generation seek just three things. You know... The old people don't even care about this, but if you are under 30, you need to be listening to me right now, especially if you are in your 20s. Okay, you're 20-something, you're under 20. It'll help you a whole lot if you figure this out in advance. There are only three things, self-gratification, self-preservation, and self-propagation, and that explains a whole lot right there. Wise Solomon looks at life under the sun, in other words, boxing God out, And he confesses in Ecclesiastes 3.18, I said in mine heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. So it is no wonder Darwin and Dawkins got so confused because only the new birth can free you from sin, self, and Satan and give you a purpose for eternity and a life based on something beyond those three primary drives for propagation, preservation, and gratification. I mean, talk about conversation. Your life is communicating. And the briefest review of media and social media will show you how the prince of the power of the air is working overtime in the children of disobedience since these are the last days of the church age. 2 Timothy 3.1 But because we are dead, deluded, disobedient, defiled, we're doomed, watch verse 3, and we're by nature children of wrath even as others. I mean, I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but you don't have to teach a child to lie. And so none of the preschools you can send your kid to are going to offer a class for toddlers on selfishness. Because by nature, that is what we all are, even as others. Now, let me open a window on that word, because the reason a dog barks is because that's his nature. The reason a cat is stupid is because that... (laughs) Is his nature. You don't have any seeing eye cats because that is not who they are. So, the reason that you see sinful men and women doing sinful things 
is not God's fault. And you know what? Really, it's not because of mental health or material items. It is because we are all sinners by nature. Okay, wait. That means your sins do not make you a sinner. You sin because you are a sinner. You do, you are not a sinner because you sin. Psalm 51 verse 5, David said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I mean, we were all born that way, baby. We grew up with it. It grew up with us. It was hereditary a long time before it was environmental. And we are not sons of wrath, as if we might have been adopted and brought into this condition. No, we are children of wrath because we are born into disobedience. So this is the generational curse of all lost humanity. We are by nature deserving of the wrath of God because even though dead in our spirit, we function abominably in our body. Yet, okay, isn't it time for some good news? I mean, this is a holiday weekend. Alan, give me some good news. All right, verse 4 has undoubtedly and indubitably the the biggest but in the Bible. I'm just saying verse 4, but God. And so verse 4 introduces a magnificent change. And with two words, Paul turns your whole life around. I mean, two words takes you from slavery's past to the final product. I mean, with two words, he tells you something which can turn your whole family around. With two words, he explains your Independence Day. With two words, he gives you something that can can control your addictions. With two words, he tells you something that can curb your passions. With two words, he tells you something that can transform your existence. I mean, I thank God for that disjunctive conjunction. And, you know, I didn't always know what a conjunction was. But one Saturday, I was watching Schoolhouse Rock. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? And I discovered that the function of a disjunctive conjunction is to say that what was true on one side of your butt will not be true after you turn the other cheek. Verse 4, but God, man, look at this, who is rich in mercy, not just merciful. I mean, pay attention to the adjectives in your Bible. He is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Now, this is just basic English Bible exegesis. I'm going to talk about that at ACR. But you'll notice how Paul uses the word love twice, first as a noun, then as a verb. Okay, so so God's great love, noun, loved us, verb. And that is the mystery. Despite who we are, his love is love because he decided to act on what he saw. So he looked down on us in our entombed spiritual existence, and he had mercy. He felt the noun love. So with the verb love, he said, I got to do something for them. They deserve what they get 
from the devil, my adversary. They deserve what they get that he's giving them. But I love. So God took what he felt inside. He made it work on the outside in order to overthrow what he saw on our side. Hello, somebody. See, God is not like you and me. I mean, we make love, verb. We don't really feel love, noun. Don't get messed up by that. God acted on how he felt, but we feel things about how we act. And so we start with a rotten act. Then we want to say we feel righteous over it. As a matter of fact, so righteous, we are proud of it. That ain't God. So God loved us because he was rich in his mercy so much so that what was rich became real and he gave us keys. Remember that lock? Remember those three locks? Look, Jesus came to seek sinners. Luke 19, 10, he came to save sinners. So Christ died for the ungodly, Romans 5, 6. He died for those without strength. Christ died for the transgressors, Isaiah 53. He even died. For his enemies, Romans 5.10. So what did that great love from that rich mercy do for us? Verse 5, even when we were dead in sins. So Paul now moves from the need of salvation to the provision of salvation. And the provision of salvation is when we get our independence day. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, look at it on your handout. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, if that has not happened to you yet, then you are not a Christian yet. Um, this needs to be your Freedom Sunday. You need to create a disturbance in the force that just wigs the devil out. I mean, just wigs him out. And it, and, and that can be, that can happen because verse five says, he hath quickened us together with Christ. And it's in the past tense because if you trust Jesus for eternal life today, God puts you in Christ at the moment he was dying on the cross. Galatians 2.20. And yet also at the moment when he was raised, It's a new life and resurrection. Baptism pictures that. And so the moment God does that, he makes your spiritual resurrection a past accomplishment and your physical resurrection an absolute certainty. So you are now to conversate with the presence of his eternal life. And I want you to notice how the parenthesis here is an explosion, verse 8. By grace, ye are saved. You're not a Christian because you're a nice person. You know, you cannot escape God's wrath because you're a nice person. You don't get saved because of ceremony, sacraments, rituals, or works of good religious merit. Those will not gain you entrance to heaven, even if there were a place of purgatory you could go to. So the only way you can possibly be eternally saved is because of the great love of God caused his rich mercy to be applied to your faith by his grace. 
And that means grace is the finished work of Christ operating on your behalf because you activate it by exercising faith in it. And yes, everyone is called, but few are chosen, Matthew twenty two fourteen, because the majority would rather choose to work their way to heaven than to have God provided on a cross, which they now have to carry in this life. They're not unchosen because God chooses to damn them. They are unchosen because they choose to damn God. God gives every sinner enough faith to be saved, Romans 10, verses 4 to 8. But you have to be willing to exercise that faith to receive Jesus, John 1, 12. There must be heart reception of the truth, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. And a faith response to the offer of grace takes hold of God's provision, Romans 6, 17. So if we are to ever be saved, we have to have a resurrection explosion of our own and be raised out of the graveyard of our sins to manifest the presence of his life, quickening. See, that is why the Bible is not a book of laws. It's a book of life. Now, if you're not born again, you don't have the Holy Spirit quickening you. Therefore, all it can ever be is a book of laws. But once you get the Spirit of God inside of you, then the Spirit, then the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus overrules the law of sin and death. And now that Bible is a book of life to you. So to get that, God shares his spirit with us in order to share his life with us. Not only does he raise you by his spirit, he seats you with his son. You are literally plucked from the tomb and placed on the throne. Watch verse six. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And you know, you only sit down when you're finished with something. After Jesus rose, he ascended. After he ascended, he sat down. And now you know why salvation can never be by your good works. Why? Because Jesus sat down. Your redemption is completely accomplished. That price was paid and you cannot add one penny to it. Now, let me open a window on that word. Isn't it great to go someplace? like a meeting or a seminar or resort and have the people tell you everything's been taken care of. Now, I know some of you like that for all sorts of different reasons because it's all-inclusive resort and all-inclusive means. Well, you know what that means. I mean, you know, speaking of our Constitution, you know, we, we, are, we added to it once a, an amendment that said prohibition. Now, I know we talk about, you know, docu- or, you know, America's a Christian nation. Well, in the Baptist church I grew up in, it stopped being Christian whenever they erased prohibition. So now it's, we are imbibing Christians, and therefore you love inclusive resorts because you don't have to pay for nothing, including the booze, and, 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 and I, don't, I don't want to even go there. My point is, Your redemption has not just been taken care of for eternity. It has been taken care of in time. So if you're a Christian and you're living in defeat, you're living a lie because you're not living the final product of the Holy Spirit. 
You're in God's mind. Spiritually, you are a king seated on a throne in a heavenly kingdom, which is spreading across this planet. But maybe you're not living by faith in that fact. Stop falling for the okey-doke. Stop following the course of this world. Independence Day means you belong to a whole nother dimension. You now breathe a supernatural atmosphere. You are now citizen of a new country ruled by a new regime with a better founding document, totally unflawed. Now, why did God do all this for us? Verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness, his mercy toward us through Christ Jesus. That means your salvation is only just the beginning, and your 4th of July is not just the beginning of a new nation, politically or spiritually. New birth is the beginning of a whole new life ahead for you. I mean, listen to verse 7. Because for the ages of the ages and eons to come, God will be showing you how gracious he can be. He is showing how much love he has to give you throughout eternity. I mean, what would happen if you really prayed to Jesus today and you absolutely literally created that disturbance in his force, in Satan's force, and and the spell was broken and you prayed really believing that God was all that and Jesus was hearing you. A brand new love, a brand new life would start in your soul. How did that salvation take place? Well, the same way it started, verse 8, for by grace are ye saved through faith. You're not a Christian because you're a Baptist. You're not saved because you're a member of this church or any other church. It's a tragedy today that so many people are hoping to go to heaven because, you know, they paid their Uber driver and gave him a tip. Paul says, hold on, that would nullify grace. Fact check this. Grace is not works, Romans 11, 6, and works are not grace. God will not justify anyone who works at it, Romans 4, 5, Galatians 3, 11. Salvation is not just a gift, verse 8, but a free gift, Romans 5, 15. It's freely given, Romans 5, 16. The unspeakable gift is a gift of his righteousness. And you get no gift without receiving it. 1 Peter 4.10. So God wants to give you something today based on Christ's merit alone, not yours, not some dead saints, not Mary's, not anybody else's. But salvation is based on what his son Jesus did. What we do is receive it, verse 8, through faith. So this is our third point for study. You receive salvation, you do not earn it. Otherwise, you'd be able to boast that you deserve it. And verse 8 says that salvation by grace through faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the faith you receive is a free gift from grace, which comes after hearing the word of God, like you have today, Romans 10, 17. So the difference between me as a saved sinner 
and you as a lost sinner is only in your willingness to receive Jesus and get this final product the Holy Spirit brings. Because after you believe in order to receive, you are sealed by him from the inside. You are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. He is then seated inside you in the earthlies. And that is the only thing that will make sense of the random disappointment and pain of this life. And the way it makes sense is this, verse 10. It makes sense of it because we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That is the final product of the Holy Spirit in your life. We are created in Christ Jesus because if anyone is in Christ, well, we saw 2 Corinthians 5.17, they are a new creature. Okay, wait. It does not say you are a new creation. Now, I don't know what translation you're coming from. I don't know what Bible you got. And I don't, I don't make a big hairy deal about this, but in terms of biblical authority, there's only one out there that has the actual words of God for you today. I mean, you read whatever you want if all you're going to do is read the Bible. But if you're going to study the word of God, you need accuracy. That means you need the scriptures God has preserved for us, not ones that somebody else invented for us. And so it does not say you are a new creature. Now, the Southern Baptist Christian Standard Bible says that. The ESV says you're a new creature. The New American Standard says you're a new creature. The NIV says you're a new creature. The Net Bible says you're a new creature. And the New King James says you are a new creation, not creature. So they all say creation except for the King James. You're a new creation, new creation, new creation. No, no, baby Baba, you ain't a new creation, despite what they say, because creation is only acted on and does not have a free will. You are a new creature. And as a new creature who chose to get saved, you can now choose to get discipled. You can now choose to get baptized. You can choose to be a member of this church. You can choose to serve in ministry and choose to glorify God. So this is our fourth point for study. The new creature does not work to get saved and does not work to stay saved, but works because he is saved. A new creation can't do that. Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? Because you are a new creature with a will. You're not a new creation who has to be acted on instead of being able to choose to act. Because I am a new creature, God worked first, then the Holy Spirit works on me, John 16, 8, and in me, Philippians 2, 13, to work my salvation and work his good pleasure out of me, Philippians 2, 12. And the one who has begun that good work in me will perform it all the way to the rapture as I stand before the judgment seat of Christ to get a reward, Philippians 1.6. And all the good works I was saved for, which please God and are his will for my life, they are clearly listed 
in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. Just read on. And you should walk in those because that is what God ordained and the Holy Spirit produces. That is what he put on order even before he saved you. You know, in college, I took swimming lessons. In college, I had didn't have a swimming pool, so they used the hotel that was across the highway, which apparently never very often got cleaned. But the teacher was a water safety instructor, which has to do with training lifeguards. One of the things that they teach you is how to save a life. And if a person begins to drown, then they start fighting for their life. And if they don't know how to swim, then they don't know to, you know, kind of um, lay a horizontal and uh, so they can stick their head up and just float. But they're vertical. They stay vertical and they're, they're grabbing. They're grabbing for air and it just, you know, just pushes them down further. And uh, so while they are reaching and they are panting and they are paddling and they're smacking, you got to back up and tread water. Now, this is especially true if they're bigger than you, because if they're bigger than you, they will drag you down with them and you will both drown. So what you do is you back up till they give up and you back up until they get tired and all the fight is gone. You back up until they realize they cannot save themselves and they give up all hope of saving themselves. If you join in too early, you die. So you hold yourself back and you reject your first reaction and you stifle your misplaced compassion and you wait till they come to the end of themselves. And then you can go around the back of them and you can put your hands under their chin and you put your elbow in their back and you can kind of frog paddle from the side and you can get them over to the shore. And when you get them to the shore, I mean, after all the coughing is done and They're not mad at you because you let them flounder. They are thankful to you because you saved them. That is what God has done for you, his great love. And that is why you are here this Sunday and not at some other church this Sunday, because God did it all. And he has patiently waited until you finished slapping the water and you gave up. And you asked God on the outside of you, to save you. Are you tired enough this Independence Day? Are you tired enough to say, Lord, save me because I cannot save myself. I trust you. And that is the moment when God takes over and grace frog kicks in and the Holy Spirit grabs you by the chin and puts his elbow under your shoulder blades and he pulls you over to shore and then you can look in the face of Jesus and you say, thank you. Thank you for saving me. So our final point for study is this, and I bid you good day. God wants all the glory because Jesus did all the, all the work. He died on the cross. He shed his blood. He bore all your sins He rose from the dead, and now you can say, thank you, thank you for saving me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Have you received God's grace by your faith response to him? All of heaven rejoices when anyone creates a disturbance in the devil's force and gets saved. I mean, it's fireworks. Fireworks go off. I'm just saying They start dancing 
If you trust Jesus today for what he promises, you will be given everlasting life, just like he said, a new birth. You know what? You don't need to feel anything. I mean, if you feel something, that's fine, but you don't need to feel anything. You just need to count on God's word that he is true and you believe in him. Will you just pray with me right now and say, God, I believe on Jesus today for eternal life. I mean, I don't, I mean, maybe there's even an element of doubt. I doubt. I don't know if this is true or not, but if it's true, you'll tell me. I mean, if this is true, what Alan has said about the Holy Spirit coming inside, then if I'm sincere, I'll know. And all I know before that is I want life after death. So I want an eternity with you. I believe, so I receive. Here, Jesus, I give you my life. God, make me born again right now in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you give Jesus your life, he'll give you his life. And the Holy Spirit will fill you as you get into God's word. And then God's word does the work. You still have free will. You still got to follow through. You still got to choose to apply what, what God, God's word says in practice. But that book is a living book for you. It's a book of life and not laws for you. And you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit as you grow in the word of God. And that is what gives you the presence of life. It quickens you. Go ahead and stand as we get ready to let the praise team sing us out today. If you get fed here and attend here, maybe you ought to be a member here. Come up and let us know. You know what? If you prayed that prayer today to get saved, come up and meet me or one of our altar workers here at the front so I can give you a copy of my book on next steps for new believers. One of those next steps is getting baptized. If you've never been scripturally baptized, you know what? A couple of weeks from today, July 24th, that's going to be your Sunday, Sunday after all church retreat.